Hi, this is Patty Lapone. This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Nia Vardalis. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. This is Beanie Feldstein. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. Hey, I heard you needed inspiration. He's Ilana and friends with some revelations. Little known fact of the day, every little thing's gonna be A-OK. Little known fact about my guest today, in her first movie role, her scene partner was Al Pacino. In her second movie role, her scene partner was Meryl Streep. Welcome Coral Pena to the podcast. Hey, everyone. My guest today is Coral Pena. Coral stars as Aleda Rosales in the Apple TV Plus series for All Mankind. She starred in the play Our Dear Dead Drug Lords in LA and BLKS at MCC on the New York stage. She can also be seen in the upcoming films Thelma and Story Avenue. Previously, she appeared alongside Meryl Streep in Steven Spielberg's The Post and in the Amazon film Chemical Hearts. I love that I called it an American film, but it probably <laughs> was. Other TV appearances include The Enemy Within and 24 Legacy. She was born in the Dominican Republic, mostly raised in New York, as far as I know. She studied at NYU Tisch School of the Arts and the Royal Academy for Dramatic Arts, I cannot wait to get into this conversation. Welcome, Carl, to the podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so excited to have you. It is so thrilling. You know, I, I, I get to deep dive into as much as I can about my guests before I get to sit down with them. And I love how you live your life, Coral. That is what oh. I want to say. And I wonder, before we get into For All Mankind, can we go back a little bit? I love sharing people's origin stories on the show. Um, yours is particularly inspiring. So I wonder if you don't mind, before we get into your beautiful career and kind of what led you to to decide, I want to be an artist as a grown-up person, a little bit of your history and your story um, and your family story. Sure. Um, well, yes. Yeah, so, so I was born in the Dominican Republic, but I, I was there for six months. Uh, so I was six months shy of being an American citizen. Uh, I actually didn't become a citizen until 2014. Um, but uh, I grew up with with my mother and uh, three sisters, so a house of five women. Um, I grew up in the projects. And my, my, my mom made, it, it is crazy. The, the, the older I get, the more, and the more I understand, I guess, just money, the more I realized um, how I grew up, which is with no, like truly no money. My mom made uh, as a housekeeper uh, $30,000 a year and used that 30K a year to support four daughters. Um, 
we all ended up, uh, my, my sister went to UPenn, you know, she went to an Ivy League school and, and uh, we went to boarding school. I mean, we, we ended up having a very, um, in, in some ways, privileged life, despite the fact that there was nothing guiding us in that direction. Um, and, and I, I used to say like, oh, I'm really, I was really lucky. And uh, I had my friends who, you know, when you're in boarding school, you, you gravitate towards the other people of color. Um, and so I, I'm still friends with them to this day. We have a group chat. And uh, I remember saying lucky and they started getting mad at me. They were like, stop saying that you're lucky. Stop saying that you're lucky. You did so much. Stop saying that you're lucky. Um, but I do think it was a little bit of luck because it's like, you know, I grew up with so many people who um, could not escape poverty, could not escape Harlem, could not escape the hood, could not escape... Um, uh, really uh, uh, dark lives. And, and I did, and I, I think that is um, there's hard work, but there's luck there. And cause you know, anything could have turned me in a different direction um, when you're in, when you're in that place. And so, um, so yeah, I'm, I, I, I liked art my whole life and somehow I knew it was a career clicked one day. Oh, this is a job and you go to school for it. So I went, I applied to, NYU. I got in on full scholarship. I, uh, the state of New York paid for me to go to NYU. And, uh, and I had a, 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 I had a great time there. And uh, I studied at Rada. I did Shakespeare training um, uh, in, in, when I was 19. I'd left the country for the first time, uh, did Shakespeare training. Insane, amazing, changed my life, made me the artist that I am. And then, uh, and then, then now I'm here talking to you on this, um, on this show. And that's it. That's it. Here we are. Now we get, we're in January, 2024. That was quick. It's like your, it's like your TV show. Like at the beginning, the credits where they just zoom through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a flip book. Yes. I just want to go back to your incredible mother for a minute because, um, raising children in with limited funds on your own navigating New York City is um it's a beast and yeah. so like who was her support system where was the support system did you guys have other family did your neighbors become your friends and and were there teachers along the way like how do you coming from another country, even if, even if English is your first language, you know, yeah. because you come like, it's all new and to be young alone and figuring it out. Can you just talk a little bit more about this heroic woman um, who has raised all of these heroic girls? Um, yeah. I mean, uh, when my grandfather passed away, uh, probably towards the end of uh, when I was in college, uh, his his funeral was so big and I got to hear a lot of stories uh, of when I was young or even before and started, it allowed me to put pieces together, but my grandfather's youngest brother, he was one of, I think, 12, 11, 12, his youngest brother, somehow, I don't really remember, but somehow he, he got a visa from Dominican Republic. And it, that was in the eighties. And from that moment on, it was like, go, 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 go. And everyone's like passing the baton behind them, you know? And so my mom, at that point, my, um, my grandparents were already there, a few, a, a bunch of cousins and some of her siblings. And so she had a support system, um, 
in some way, I don't, I don't know how much of a support system you could have and it be normal. Like I'm sure it was, um, I mean, my, my mom's from Santo Domingo and Dominican Republic, which is a rambunctious city. She grew up quite poor when I visited um, years ago. I, my mom's never talked about it and, and not because she's withheld it. I just don't think she's thought much of it. But when we visited the homes are just these cinder blocks and the doors are curtains and that's it. That's your house. And so I think for my mom in some way, uh, cause I've been thinking about it a lot recently. Um, even though she made 30 K and she didn't have a lot of money, guess what she did that. She had running water and she had heating and she had um, an elevator that uh, just an elevator, not even an elevator to work, an elevator um, you know, and so, and so I think there was, um, uh, some of it, it's, it's been, I'm fortunate in this way because I think no matter how much I succeed or how much money I make, my mom, um, the idea of just living any of this is pretty magical and, um, and new and, and special. And, um, and so, uh, yeah, we have support, but also when you grow up, I grew up in the projects, um, my sister told me a story recently. I remember having a bunch of books uh, growing up. I mean, my house was filled with books. My sister is a really uh, intense reader. And she told me only recently that the reason why we had so many books is because we had a next door neighbor who was moving out and she could hear that my mom had a bunch of girls. And she came over with two garbage bags and said, hi, my daughters are grown up now. They don't need these books. Do you want them? And so I think in in that those circumstances in the projects when you grow up poor and there's other poor people around you, there's actually your neighbors are also trying to help you with what little they have. And so um, that's why I love New York. I think everyone takes care of each other and uh, in a really special way that I think if you're not from New York, you don't understand the level of um, of community, you know, what community is in New York. So my mom's special, but um there was also a lot of special people around us. Yeah. yeah. And you said you went to boarding school. So how old were yeah. you from, from when to when? 14 to 18. So my high school years. Okay. And, and where was that? It was in, uh, near Princeton, New Jersey, uh, uh a town called Heightstown. It was, it was, uh, Petty, uh, Petty school. Uh, it was great. I mean, I, I think, uh, I wanted to go, because we had such, it's so funny. I was, I guess in my brain, I'm like, this is a very mature thought process for a 13, 14 year old. But I, we had such a small apartment and I felt like I couldn't concentrate on my homework. <laughs> and so I, my sister had already gone and I thought, you know, this would be good. I, can, I have my own space and I can ask my teachers for help on my homework and all these things. And um, yeah, I, I liked it a lot. Everyone has different experiences with boarding school and some people really don't like it and some people do, but, and I'm, I'm one of the people who, who did. Yeah. But when did you sort of become aware that this was something you really wanted to do in earnest and study in earnest? Right. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm I'm shy about it and I'm shy to even say it right now, but I, I sing. Um, I don't think of myself as a singer, but I sing. And, uh, and I, and my family was very impressed by that. I had a very deep voice when I was a kid, really deep husky voice. And I would sing, um, uh, 
I would sing like Tony Braxton and they'd be like, whoa, like this like nine-year-old singing Tony Braxton. Um, and, and that always, I think, perked my ears up to doing things that involved music. Um, and so slowly the performing, my performance nature was sort of uncovered through that. Um, and when I was at boarding school, uh, I don't know why I did it. I think it scared me, but I, I, I did sports. Um, even though I'm, I'm, I have not grown since I was uh, in fourth grade. I, I don't know why I thought I could play basketball. Wait, I don't is that know literally true? Is are you being a hundred? Yes, I'm. I it's funny because every once in a while, someone will be watching something I'm in. Yeah, and they'll put me next to someone who is six three. And the audience, I think, realizes like this is a very small person. Um, She's a teeny so tiny. I, how tall are you? I'm five one. Okay. Um, and so I, I, I did sports. I, I, I was avoiding doing the arts at boarding school because I knew once I did it, that was it. Um, but then I, uh, I was encouraged to audition for the musical, and uh, I got in, and uh, that was sort of it. Then I, then I started in my free time reading looking up scripts for tv and movies and reading them and writing my own scripts and looking up monologues and performing them and practicing you know accents and all that kind of started rumbling in me like it just poured out once I did the musical and um and I spoke to a teacher and she said you know this is a career and you can go to school for it I said no way and so uh uh, I applied to NYU and, uh, and then here we are. <laughs> so what was your first professional work experience? My first professional work experience was, it's funny because I think it was my first major movie. The Post was my first major movie with uh, Stephen and Meryl, which is so funny. Um, I, I remember on that set, um, uh, Zach Woods, I was wearing an NYU sweatshirt. And uh, and Zach Woods uh, said, oh, 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 I went to NYU. And he said, what year did you graduate? And I told him and he said, were you a child actor? And I was like, no, 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 this is this is my first thing. And he was like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> I was like, I don't I know, know, someone else gonna hired be, me. It's going to be really upsetting for people listening that like, <laughs> well, my first job was made. Have you heard of Steven Spielberg? Well, but did you have that agent? technically? I did. Well, so that technically wasn't my first first job. It was my first big job. But my first job was this movie called uh, Pirates of Somalia. At that point, I had uh, a manager and an agent. Uh, I got one straight out of uh, NYU, uh, which was amazing. And uh, and I, it's funny because the the director of that movie, Brian Buckley, and his wife Kiana became instantly two of my greatest friends. I went to their wedding. Um, I recently was just at their house it, and it was my scenes. It's funny. Cause I'm like, Oh my, you know, Steven Spielberg and, and Meryl Streep. My scenes were solely with Al Pacino. <laughs> so my first acting job actually was with Al Pacino. <laughs> Can you talk <laughs> about that? Like, like oh, we're not going to run through this. So did you do like an evening of scenes that agents and managers came to see as a graduate? Like when you say, or or were you doing things at NYU that people no. came to see? So how did you yeah. literally get an agent and a manager so young without, without being a child actor? 
it, it was a trickle of uh, uh, things sort of trickled in. So I, uh, in a showcase, so at NYU, there's um, a studio called Stone Street for film and TV. And part of Stone Street is that they have showcases with uh, agents and managers. And so I, um, I auditioned and I got a commercial agent from that. And I told myself, okay, if I do really great here, then I'm going to reach out to people. And I did. I got really lucky. I got a bunch of commercials really quickly. And I used that to get a manager. Um, and the through that manager, I got an agent. And it's funny, the agents were sort of unsure about me because I think we're still at the time where I think if you were a non-white person, you had to play the role of a non-white person, i.e., I came in and I just had like a nice outfit on and they wanted me to come in with like ripped jeans and be edgy and like speak Spanish and like all this stuff. And I was like, oh, I'm classically trained. Like I can do that, but that's not like what I eat and breathe all the time. And so um, uh, I, I just, you know, just, I, I barely got an agent. Um, and then I immediately got Pirates of Somalia and they were like, oh, okay. And then I think, I was with them for three months and I got my first series regular job pilot season. So I, I it was uh, out of the gate. Uh, something was in the water, in my water, in someone else's water. I don't know. But I, I kept getting callbacks and, and cast and things. And um, it really set me on a, a quick forward trajectory. <laughs> so you have not had to have a day job or a, a waitressing job or a bartending job since you started your career. Yeah, I... I I stopped. So I worked at a restaurant and uh, uh, the restaurant's uh, name is Barbudo. Great restaurant. Everyone there was amazing. Uh, I, I felt like when you're just graduating school and you're entering an unstable career, the goal can sometimes, even if you don't realize it, can be um, stability. And I, I was looking around and I was seeing people who were sort of duck and they slowly they started to prioritize the job over their real the job they actually wanted to do and slowly they started taking on more shifts and turning down more auditions and I was like okay I can't do that so I told myself I'm gonna stick to a part-time job for six months and then I'm gonna move on to the next part-time job and it's gonna keep me on my toes and I can't I can't and so I was at Barbudo for six months and then I worked at Soul Cycle for uh two and a half months um and and I remember Soul Cycle wasn't bad people were nice it just you know it wasn't great also at the same time and uh and I remember I got 24 Legacy which was my first year's regular job um I got it I had a shift the next morning at 5 a.m and I just emailed them I'm not coming in I quit and they said oh my god what happened? And I just sent them, it was kind of, it, I wasn't trying to be an asshole, but I sent them the deadline article. And I was like, I'm not coming in. And they said, hey, uh, that's so great. Could you still get someone to cover your shift? And I just was like, no, I'm out. <laughs> I'm out of the game. <laughs> I think that's going to be on you. That's going to be on yeah, you. Exactly. So were those, or, okay, I'm still like, you know, having just watched a little bit of Godfather part two last night, just imagining <laughs> You know, obviously, generationally, I don't know that 
well, I don't want to speak for you. Al yeah. Pacino, Meryl Streep, there are certain actors that for actors coming up of a certain generation, yeah. the idea that their early work would be on set with those people, that yeah. may or may not have been true for you. And maybe because they were no. like, or, or it was. I mean, they, were, they were at the point aware. where they were like, they were actually in legend territory where yeah. I didn't even fantasize about ever working with them because I right. thought that is physically impossible right and so it, when both happened I actually uh I wasn't nervous because I don't think I could process that like oh that's up you know that's Meryl Streep that's right that's, that's Tom Hanks like that wasn't what my brain was doing um uh but yeah absolutely I mean I I, I knew I was in okay. front of Al Pacino. Okay. <laughs> yeah. sometimes you meet younger people and they're like I've heard of them. I'm not exactly sure. You know, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. There are other people that they'd be like Ryan Gosling, yeah, or you know, whatever. So I mean, Dog Day Afternoon and and Serpico are two of the most influential movies for me as an actor. So I I I I knew. I knew. Okay, so in terms of I I do I do want to ask you, were there any takeaways? And then we're gonna get into Aleda. Um, are there things in your early days watching Al Pacino, watching Meryl Streep, whether you had, you know, one scene or more, just sort of observing, are there any takeaways that you thought, I'm going to remember this forever and take this with me? Do you have anything you can share with either of those icons as you, as you describe them? Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, uh. I remember on the post doing a take and Stephen getting up from his chair and doing a jig and then like coming towards him going like, that was great. Did you feel that was great? That was great. And he was filled with so much energy and same with Marilyn, same with Al, where they, no matter where they are, what movie they're doing, how much the movie is being, how much funding the movie has. They love acting so much. And I remember watching Al and he was just improvising and improvising. And at a certain point, I mean, this he was making the scene five minutes longer than it was on the page. And eventually he goes, you guys have to stop me eventually because I'll keep going. And and thinking, it, yeah, he he... He loves it so much. You have to le- have to physically pull him away from the scene. And so for me, I feel like he, 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 there's so much noise as an actor, especially now, about what you're supposed to be doing and what you're supposed to care about, and 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 where your priorities should should be. But these people have the career they have because their priorities have always been the art, and they just love it. They, they didn't Nick Cage say it during, yeah. And didn't, yeah. didn't Nick Cage say it during his Oscar speech where he says, I know this isn't hit man, but uh, I just love acting. And it's like, yeah, that's it. That's the, yeah. that's, that's the that's magic. It. That's it. There's no other, uh, a secret to it. It's just, do you love it? And if you love it, just do it. And don't think about the other things and don't think about what people are going to say, do it. You're here now. And, and that's my takeaway. That's what, what I tried to hold on to, which is that I'm doing it because I love it. And no matter what highs or lows happen, uh, I get to do the thing I love. And that's that's pretty special. So you're obviously aware 
as Coral Pena, that there are so <laughs> many young people um, who are seeing someone on television who reminds them of themselves, not that they mm. necessarily work for NASA, but <laughs> you look like them. If they read up on you, your story in some way resonates with them. Mm -hmm. um, when you were growing up, was there anyone on screen or your small television or stage? You know, as New York kids, you often, even if we're way up in the balcony, like fourth mezzanine, there are programs yeah. where we get to see Broadway shows. So yeah. who was that for you or was there more than one? Yeah, I, and the person for me then, and they still are that person, uh, is was and is Regina King. Um, I remember feeling, and this was before I think uh, people really started to understand that she's was extremely underutilized. Uh, but uh, she has such a heart, and um, she, yeah, I, I was, I really, I, I felt really warm anytime I watched anything she did. Um, and she, and she did did several things. You know, she did she did two characters on the the lead characters on the Boondocks. So she's doing voiceover work. She's doing, she's doing film, she's doing TV, she's doing everything. So yeah, Regina King. Um, and then also uh, Jodie Foster. <laughs> I was, I, I felt very connected to Jodie Foster. And the first serious film I ever watched was Silence of the Lambs. And I remember feeling like, oh yeah, Jodie Foster, that's, 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 she's, she's it. She's, she's it. You know, I think about this idea, we, we talked about it earlier. I talked about it earlier where you're not just a guest on blue bloods or somebody else's show where you're coming in and yeah. coming out. And by the way, they're, they're, all the heavy lifting often falls on the guest star on those oh, shows, yeah. right? You're oh, like, yeah. and you don't know anyone and you just yeah. hope that you can remember your lines. Um, now you are in an ensemble, right? It's as close to theater yeah. as it can get. Not that you yeah. get to do the show in order, the way a play is rehearsed and performed in order. Um, but you are part of an ensemble. I mean, I know I think you came in, you know, one or two seasons into the show. But I do wonder, um, now that you like are really on it, do you feel like the writers can now write to you? Do you feel like, yeah. oh, they really know me as a human now, not just in this role, because this scene or that scene really feels organic to me? Yeah, when I came on for the second season, I I felt like I was making decisions based off of what someone else thought the character was. And, and that, that was fine. I I felt like I was making really great character choices. Um, and I, I, I look back and it's controversial. My character wasn't really liked in the second season, but I, I loved it. I was like, Oh, she's, she's, she's someone that people don't like. That's fun. Um, so I was really proud of my character choices, but I didn't feel like it was my, moment to moment choices all the time um even in the edit and things like that and in the third season I was really um feeling like because joining the show in the second season you feel like you're new it took me it took me until this season fourth season to feel like I'm finally actually on the show instead of uh or I'm I I this is my show rather than I'm on the show um the third season, there was a lot of push and pull of feeling like, when can I speak up and when can I fight and what battles should I be choosing? In the fourth season, I was just like, no, 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 this is right. I promise you, you're going to like it. Let me do it. You'll see it. And then you're going to like it. And uh, it's to me, no surprise that in the fourth season, uh, I think 
I'm getting the most love uh, critically uh, uh, viewers, because I, th I think you're getting to see that um, like, I think an actor is always their best when they feel confident and when they feel um, secure. And the, I, I felt that. And I think you see that, which is just someone who is like, I know this person and I, and I know I have something to give here and, and, and I'm going to let the work speak for itself. And so, um, yeah, the writing, they wrote me some really exceptional stuff. I have I had like a five page monologue in episode six of uh, the season. And uh, I, I, when I saw that, I was like, wow, they really trust me. That's great. Okay. All right. Here's my chance to prove that they can continue to trust me. And then I did it and then they wrote more and they wrote more. And so, um, yeah, it feels like we all are, are really, uh, the trust. Yeah. We all trust each other. Um, I feel like I'm, I'm part of the conversation rather than the conversations happening. And then I hear about it after. Right. You know, when you mention sort of the word critic or critical, um, mm -hmm. when you, I mean, you've done a lot of theater also, it's been a while. Um, I hope we get you back soon on <laughs> the boards. Um, how do you handle you know, we live, we live in a very loud society in terms of um, not just people who are paid to be critics and write yeah. for, you know, papers and, and places we all know, but everyone has an opinion and the internet is a place where everyone can share it. How do you handle, what is your relationship to that that reality of being an artist in this time in something commercial how do you protect yourself what is your what is your way of navigating all of those voices and all of those opinions as it were yeah I'm, I mean I'm I, to my own detriment I'm, I'm I'm too curious about what people are saying I, I love notes and I love um, critique from my peers um, whether it be critics that I, I do believe, you know, really have their finger on the pulse and really understand art and love it and want it to thrive. I, I if if they if I get a bad review from someone like that, um, it hurts and it haunts me. But I like it because I, I, I you should be encouraging um, perspectives from your peers. It is hard when I see um, negative critique from people who aren't artists because I think artists should be free to make bold choices and whether they land or not is actually not what we should be um, excited to see. It's the fact that someone decided to go for it. Um, speaking of Nicolas Cage, like I, I, I think it's cool. He makes some big swings and they're all like, if you hear him talk, they're, they're, he's, making like vaudevillian choices and he's talking about kabuki and he's these are re he's making it from real places and they don't always land but it's cool that he made them i mean i think that's exciting but I, I a lot of people watch movies or tv and it's just like if i like it then it's good if i dislike it then it's bad and there's no conversation about i didn't like it it wasn't my type of choice but it was interesting that they made it i wonder why they made it there's not that further conversation and i think that's when the critique is hard because I'm like, ah, like, I know you didn't like the choice that this actor made, but it was cool or that the director made. And, and uh, yeah, I, I think I'm, I'm starting to learn how to differentiate critique from people that I, I should be absorbing what they have to say versus people that I will. Okay. That is your opinion. 
but it, I don't have to share that opinion with you. And it, it takes, I'm still, I'm still working on it, you know? Well, yeah. I mean, that's a life, that's our life's work, right? To yeah. just, you know, I, so two things I want to say to you. One is it just so happens a, a couple of weeks ago, I, I had an episode drop with an author of a book called From Coppola to Cage. And it is mm. all about, it is all about Nick Cage and his family right. and his process. I think you might love it. It's not a book yeah. I would have ordinarily read, but because yeah. I was interviewing the author, um, but it really happens to be like fantastic. And I think yeah. just use it. You've mentioned him a couple of times because he is so himself. That's the yeah. one thing you can say yeah. about Nicolas Cage. And he comes from this unbelievably artistic family and yeah. how you run away from the thing that you end up running directly towards. Yeah. It's, a, it's just a really, I actually enjoyed the read a lot. Um, and then I just had this woman on the show named Barbara Barry, who was in the original production of Company, the Sondheim musical mm. on oh, Broadway. Wow. And she studied with Uta Hagen, one of the, you know, first of course women acting teachers in, in, in the world. Um, yeah. And she said this thing that really resonated with me, which, you know, we were just talking about process and she's in her 90s and still uses Uta Hagen's lessons, mm. you know, every time she walks on a set and, and on stage and the thing she, you know, we're talking about nerves and nervousness and especially in theater where you don't get another take and, and you yeah. can't redo the, you get to do it again tomorrow, hopefully, but yeah. sometimes last night's performance really haunts us. Um, yeah. Or when critics are coming and even if you're someone who doesn't read reviews or want to know when they're there, you can tell they're there. Everyone's acting yeah. strangely and suddenly the producers are hot. You're like, why is everyone here tonight? And you're like, Oh my God, the New York mm -hmm. times is here and you want to die. But she was like, the moment I realized my only job is to tell the story. That's it. Mm -hmm. That's my work. My nerves go away. And I feel yeah. like as Aleda in, in all these different roles that you've done in Chemical Hearts, like all of these films. Anyway, so thank you for being uh, someone who is willing to share so much of yourself because I think young people do get lost online and on the internet and there's a lot of hate speech in the world right now sure. and you being out there are like the most beautiful antidote to all of that so thank you for your honesty and your openness and your beautiful performances um before I let you go is there a little known fact about Cora Kenya that you can share with my listeners Coral you have been just the most incredible guest today I'm so oh, grateful to you no thank you for having me thank you ah little known fact about me um speaking of Al it's funny I just saw um Michael Mann talked two nights in a row, one after Heat, he screened Heat, and then um, uh, I saw a double feature of Ferrari and then Ali. And uh, his, my, his, my one of my favorite movies is Thief, which is a Michael Mann movie. But there is a, um, Bruce McGill and Al Pacino have like a monologue in The Insider that my goal of 2024 is to memorize both of them so that I can recite them. Uh, it's going to be my new party trick. Cannot wait to see all the things coming up for you. Thank you for being on the podcast today. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I, I appreciate this conversation. Clouds can make the wind blow. Bugs can make the ground.
I have some news. Little Known Facts is now available to watch on YouTube. Hours and hours and hours of interviews that you can see my fabulous guests. And guess what it's called? Little Known Facts with Alana Levine. Catchy, right? Anyway, head on over to YouTube and watch the podcast. And please don't forget to subscribe. Also, if you want to donate to the podcast, zero pressure. But if you want to, no donation is too big or too small. I am so grateful for you for listening. But if you want to donate, just go to littleknownfactspodcast.com forward slash donations. Lastly, Little Known Facts is recorded in Brooklyn, New York, USA. My editor is Nicholas Clark. None of this happens without Nicholas. And the Little Known Facts theme song was composed and sung by Georgia Famusa with backup vocals by Caleb Famusa. Thank you for listening and have an amazing day.